Welcome everybody to Socratica Reads. My name is Kimberly Hatch Harrison, and I'm the co-founder of Socratica. We make beautiful, futuristic educational videos. That means we're often inspired by science fiction, as it treads a fine line between celebrating new discoveries and inventions and showing us a picture of how it could all go wrong if you forget your humanity along the way. Today, I'd like to share with you an unexpected source of one of these stories. But first, I'm going to interrupt myself here to say there won't be any more interruptions because this podcast has zero ads. Zero ads! That's because we're sponsored by the Socratica Foundation, and the Socratica Foundation is sponsored by you. The Socratica Foundation is an educational nonprofit dedicated to the three timeless pillars literacy, numeracy, and critical thinking. We have a literacy campaign to spread the love of reading and share its enormous power. This includes reading lessons, book donations, and a little PR for reading in the form of this podcast, Socratica Reads. You can learn more at socratica.org. Now, I was telling you that I was surprised to learn about this episode's book, I heard about it from a booktuber I'd like to recommend, a channel called BookPilled, that features all kinds of classic sci-fi in my favorite form, the inexpensive used bookstore paperback, preferably with a lurid cover. When I watch it, I spend almost every episode saying, never heard of it, never heard of it. And I have my phone open, and I'm looking up all these books. There's uh, very often an auction associated with the episodes, so if you really want to get your hands on that exact copy, you can place a bid. I'll include a link to BookPilled in the show notes. The channel is great fun, and it helps me expand my understanding of this art form, so I consider it an educational channel. I started reading sci-fi before the internet existed, and I only really knew about the books that were on the shelves of my local library, which was truly excellent. But even the best library doesn't have every book. That was one thing that was a real trip about visiting bookstores in different towns back then. You might actually discover a book you didn't know existed. Like this book. Let me actually start talking about this episode's book. It's called the Machine Stops. It's either a very long short story or a pretty short novella. And it's by E.M. Forster. The E.M. Forster I know and love from novels like A Room with a View and A Passage to India and Howard's End and Morris and Where Angels Fear to Tread. You see, I thought I read everything E.M. Forster ever wrote. At least, that was everything that was on the shelves of my library and local bookstores. I had no idea he ever wrote any science fiction, but he did. And boy howdy, it's a doozy. It's great. Uh, I, I don't even know. I don't even understand how I never heard about this. So I had to read it, and now that I've read it, I have to tell you that it exists, and it's great, and you should read it too and tell people about it and get them to read it. So I know E.M. Forster as a sensitive, elegant novelist who dissected the intricacies of human relationships and exposed the hypocrisies of his society and warned of the dangers of people denying their human nature. 
a lot of my understanding of early 20th century society comes from reading novels like these. But here's the thing. I really shouldn't be surprised that E.M. Forster wrote sci-fi. I'm so glad he saw that he could do the kind of work he always did, but in this different genre. This powerful genre. Science fiction can be, when it's done well, a vehicle for examining human nature and society. In this work, The Machine Stops, we get to consider the impact of technology on a future society where people live underground and are entirely dependent on this vast computer-like machine for their every need. This book is from 1909, but the themes of technology and isolation and the potential consequences of over-reliance on machines for human life make it so fresh. I'm going to read a little from the beginning, and I hope you are moved to get your own copy. If this is your first introduction to Forster, you have some really great works in your future. Are you ready? Let's begin. Chapter 1. The Airship Imagine, if you can, a small room, hexagonal in shape, like the cell of a bee. It is lighted neither by window nor by lamp, yet it is filled with a soft radiance. There are no apertures for ventilation, and yet the air is fresh. There are no musical instruments, and yet, at the moment that my meditation opens, this room is throbbing with melodious sounds. An armchair is in the center, by its side a reading desk. That is all the furniture. And in the armchair there sits a swaddled lump of flesh, a woman, about five feet high, with a face as white as a fungus. It is to her that the little room belongs. An electric bell rang. The woman touched a switch and the music was silent. I suppose I must see who it is, she thought, and set her chair in motion. The chair, like the music, was worked by machinery, and it rolled her to the other side of the room, where the bell still rang importunately. Who is it? she called. Her voice was irritable, for she had been interrupted often since the music began. She knew several thousand people. In certain directions human intercourse had advanced enormously. But when she listened into the receiver, her white face wrinkled into smiles, and she said, Very well, let us talk. I will isolate myself. I do not expect anything important will happen for the next five minutes for I can give you fully five minutes, Kuno, then I must deliver my lecture on music during the Australian period. She touched the isolation knob so that no one else could speak to her. Then she touched the lighting apparatus, and the little room was plunged into darkness. Be quick, she called, her irritation returning. Be quick, Kuno, here I am in the dark, wasting my time. But it was fully fifteen seconds before the round plate that she held in her hands began to glow. A faint blue light shot across it, darkening to purple, and presently she could see the image of her son, who lived on the other side of the earth, and he could see her. Kuno, how slow you are! He smiled gravely. I really believe you enjoy dawdling. I have called you before, mother, but you were always busy or isolated. I have something particular to say. What is it, dearest boy? Be quick. Why could you not send it by pneumatic post? because I prefer saying such a thing. I want... well, I want you to come and see me. Vashti watched his face in the blue plate. But I can see you, she exclaimed. What more do you want? I want to see you not through the machine, said Kuno, 
I want to speak to you, not through the wearisome machine. Oh, hush, said his mother, vaguely shocked. You mustn't say anything against the machine. Why not? One mustn't. You talk as if a god had made the machine, cried the other. I believe that you pray to it when you are unhappy. Men made it, do not forget that. Great men, but men. The machine is much, but it is not everything. I see something like you in this plate, but I do not see you. I hear something like you through this telephone, but I do not hear you. That is why I want you to come. Pay me a visit, so that we can meet face to face and talk about the hopes that are in my mind. She replied that she could scarcely spare the time for a visit. The airship barely takes two days to fly between me and you. I dislike airships. Why? I dislike seeing the horrible brown earth and the sea and the stars when it is dark. I get no ideas in an airship. I do not get them anywhere else. What kind of ideas can the air give you? He paused for an instant. Do you not know four big stars that form an oblong and three stars close together in the middle of the oblong? and hanging from these stars, three other stars. No, I do not. I dislike the stars. But did they give you an idea? How interesting, tell me. I had an idea that they were like a man. I do not understand. The four big stars are the man's shoulders and his knees. The three stars in the middle are like the belts that men once wore, and the three stars hanging are like a sword. A sword? Men carried swords about with them, to kill animals and other men. It does not strike me as a very good idea, but it certainly is original. When did it come to you first? In the airship. He broke off, and she fancied that he looked sad. She could not be sure, for the machine did not transmit nuances of expression. It only gave a general idea of people, an idea that was good enough for all practical purposes, Vashti thought. The imponderable bloom declared by a discredited philosophy to be the actual essence of intercourse, was rightly ignored by the machine, just as the imponderable bloom of the grape was ignored by the manufacturers of artificial fruit. Something good enough had long since been accepted by our race. The truth is, he continued, that I want to see these stars again. They are curious stars. I want to see them, not from the airship, but from the surface of the earth, as our ancestors did thousands of years ago. I want to visit the surface of the earth. She was shocked again. Mother, you must come, if only to explain to me what is the harm of visiting the surface of the earth. No harm, she replied, controlling herself, but no advantage. The surface of the earth is only dust and mud, no advantage. The surface of the earth is only dust and mud, no life remains on it, and you would need a respirator, or the cold of the outer air would kill you. One dies immediately in the outer air. I know, of course, I, I shall take all precautions. And besides... Well, she considered and chose her words with care. Her son had a queer temper, and she wished to dissuade him from the expedition. It is contrary to the spirit of the age, she asserted. Do you mean by that contrary to the machine? In a sense, but... His image in the blue plate faded. Kuno! He had isolated himself. For a moment, Vashti felt lonely. Then she generated the light, and the sight of her room, flooded with radiance and studded with electric buttons, revived her. There were buttons and switches everywhere. 
buttons to call for food, for music, for clothing. There was the hot bath button, by pressure of which a basin of imitation marble rose out of the floor, filled to the brim with a warm deodorized liquid. There was the cold bath button. There was the button that produced literature, and there were, of course, the buttons by which she communicated with her friends. The room, though it contained nothing, was in touch with all that she cared for in the world. Vashanti's next move was to turn off the isolation switch, and all the accumulations of the last three minutes burst upon her. The room was filled with the noise of bells and speaking tubes. What was the new food like? Could she recommend it? Has she had any ideas lately? Might one tell her one's own ideas? Would she make an engagement to visit the public nurseries at an early date, say this day month? To most of these questions she replied with irritation, a growing quality in that accelerated age. She said that the new food was horrible, that she could not visit the public nurseries through press of engagements, that she had no ideas of her own, but had just been told one that four stars and three in the middle were like a man. She doubted there was very much in it. Then she switched off her correspondence, for it was time to deliver her lecture on Australian music. The clumsy system of public gatherings had been long since abandoned. Neither Vashti nor her audience stirred from their rooms. Seated in her armchair, she spoke, while they in their armchairs heard her fairly well and saw her fairly well. She opened with a humorous account of music in the pre-Mongolian epic, and went on to describe the great outburst of song that followed the Chinese conquest. Remote and primeval as were the methods of Isanzo and the Brisbane School, she yet felt, she said, that study of them might repay the musicians of today. They had freshness. They had, above all, ideas. Her lecture, which lasted ten minutes, was well received, and at its conclusion she and many of her audience listened to a lecture on the sea. There were ideas to be got from the sea. The speaker had donned a respirator and visited it lately. Then she fed, talked to many friends, had a bath, talked again, and summoned her bed. The bed was not to her liking. It was too large, and she had a feeling for a small bed. Complaint was useless, for beds were of the same dimension all over the world, and to have had an alternative size would have involved vast alterations in the machine. Vashti isolated herself, it was necessary, for neither day nor night existed under the ground, and reviewed all that had happened since she had summoned the bed last. Ideas? Scarcely any. Events? Was Kuno's invitation an event? By her side on the little reading desk was a survival from the ages of litter. One book. This was the book of the machine. In it were instructions against every possible contingency. If she was hot or cold or dyspeptic or at a loss for a word, she went to the book, and it told her which button to press. The Central Committee had published it. In accordance with a growing habit, it was richly bound. Sitting up in the bed, she took it reverently in her hands. She glanced round the glowing room as if someone might be watching her. Then, half ashamed, half joyful, she murmured, Oh, machine! and raised the volume to her lips. Thrice she kissed it. Thrice inclined her head. Thrice she felt the delirium of acquiescence. Her ritual performed, she turned to page 1367, which gave the times of the departure of the airships from the island in the southern hemisphere, under whose soil she lived, to the island in the northern hemisphere, whereunder lived her son. She thought, I have not the time. She made the room dark and slept. She awoke and made the room light. She ate and exchanged ideas with her friends, and listened to music and attended lectures. She made the room dark and slept. Above her, beneath her, and around her, the machine hummed eternally. 
she did not notice the noise, for she had been born with it in her ears. The earth carrying her hummed as it sped through silence, turning her now to the invisible sun, now to the invisible stars. She awoke and made the room light. Kuno, I will not talk to you, he answered, until you come. Have you been on the surface of the earth since we spoke last? His image faded. There's a lot about this society that Forster imagined that feels familiar. If you read it, I'm going to say when you read it, please read it, I think you'll find it relevant for our current discussions about the impact of technology on our lives. If you want to chat about the ideas in The Machine Stops, our Discord server is open to all of our YouTube channel members and our patrons from Patreon. You can join them at patreon.com Socratica. Thanks for listening.